This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, also via rsn.net.au and via the RSN Racing and Sport app. You can also stream this podcast via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and by also going to warfradio.com. This is our final episode for 2020. We wrap up Season 6 with a very special guest, Dr. Tiana Ernst, who balanced a medical career with a semi-professional football career in the AFLW. Played 29 games across four seasons, three with the Western Bulldogs, including the 2018 Premiership, and last year with the newly formed Gold Coast Suns. That interview with Dr. Tiana Ernst coming up very shortly. But first, the latest women's footy news. Some news first out of the Fremantle Dockers and one of their newest recruits, Jess Trend, formerly of the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, will not be playing for them in 2021. She has decided to sit out the season and pursue a private opportunity outside of football. We look forward to Jess Trend's return, hopefully in the 2022 AFLW season. Over at her former club, the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, they've announced a new coaching panel to work behind Darren Crocker, who took over from Scott Gowans uh, earlier in the year. And that includes Brad Murphy, a uh, former Western Bulldogs player, and had also coached at the Calder Cannons with some stints at Melton and St Albans in senior local footy. He'll be joined by Marcus Abney-Hastings, who led uh, the Northern Knights NAB League girls' side to a flag in 2019. And he'll also uh, be taking charge of the VFLW team of the Kangaroos. And Natasha Hardy, who, of course, uh, was played out of Sunbury, played a season in the VFLW with Essendon before becoming uh, their stoppage coach. She'll be now working as an AFL development and VFLW assistant coach at the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. And also a re-signing news that is Peter Searle has re-signed with the St Kilda Saints for the 2021 AFLW season. Across to the United States Australian Football League, as we mentioned last week, their nationals, which were meant to be held in Ontario, California, were wiped out along with their regionals earlier in the year and their entire season, obviously due to COVID-19. In replacement, they held this weekend just gone a virtual nationals, which included an AFL men's panel and an AFL women's panel featuring the likes of Abby Holmes, Sarah Perkins, Jessica Wuchner and Danny Marshall. Plus, they had various challenges for teams to send their videos in to take out prizes from the virtual nationals. And they included the 100 metres dash. The fastest time was uh, made by Miriam Mehta from the DC Eagles with 12.27 seconds. Kicking accuracy was taken out by Jenna Typoletti from the Sacramento Suns. And in the Team Fitness Challenge, which was a 2K run, push-up, uh, kicking accuracy and handball accuracy. You get points for all of those. That was taken out by Division 1 side, the Minnesota Freeze. Also, good to see that women's footy is kicking off again with AFL Nuru. They've got a five-round, six-team season that kicked off last weekend. And they're trying to get a women's competition up and going in Auckland, New Zealand. You can go and find more details just by going to Facebook and searching Auckland Women's AFL. They've got two teams to kick off this season. They plan on playing at least six matches. They are the uh, Inner West Magpies and the Central 
Eastern Blues. Check it out again at Auckland Women's AFL. And that's latest women's footy news. Time for our final State League scoreboard check for 2020. And we turn our attention to the Tasmanian State League women's competition. The grand final played over the weekend and was taken out by Launceston in a low-scoring one. Launceston 2-1-13 defeated Glenorchy. Just the six behind. Mia King, North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos footballer, who was playing for Launceston, took out best on ground honours. Round three of the NTFL Women's Premier League for 2020-2021. Of course, they play over the summer during the wet season up there in Darwin. Round three on the weekend saw St Mary's 5-3-33, defeated the Darwin Buffets 3-5-23. Southern District Crocs drew with Waratah 4-4-28 apiece. Pint 9-10-64 defeated the Palmerston Magpies 2-8-20. And the Wanderers 3-4-22 went down to Nycliffe 6-5-41. Tracy Village had the bye. To round four out of the 18-round uh, season. And in round four action, all games to be played this Saturday, 24th of October. 10 a.m. at Kazali's Arena. Palmerston Magpies versus Tracy Village. Also at 10 a.m. at TIO Oval number two. Wanderers versus Pint. Also at 10 a.m. at TAO Stadium on the main oval, St. Mary's versus Nightcliff. And in the only afternoon game at 1 p.m. at Gardens Oval, Waratah versus the Darwin Buffets. Southern District's Crocs have the bye. Now, before we go to, obviously, our break over the summer, let's have a look at what the ladder looks like after three rounds of the NTFL Women's Premier League. And the two teams currently unbeaten at the moment are both Nightcliff and Pint. They're both three and zip. St. Mary's close behind them, two and one. The the uh, Darwin Buffets 1-1, one one, Waratah 1-1, one one, Wanderers 1-2, one and, and the winless side so far, Southern Districts, Palmerston Magpies and Tracy Village. Again, we'll pick up results and scores for the NTFL Women's Competition when we return in January. And our feature guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival is a Queenslander that will end her career in Queensland, but she ended up taking a fair bit of a trip around Australia. Not just playing AFLW, but moving her life in general, her career, her studies to Victoria, a move that would end up changing her life in more ways than one. She would represent uh, AFLW clubs, the Western Bulldogs and the Gold Coast Suns, would actually represent two states when it comes to interstate football, her native Queensland and Victoria in a pretty important game in the development of women's football but now she's excelling off the field in medicine it's great to have on the line she's recently retired but she leaves plenty of good memories behind dr tiana ernst tiana thank you very much for joining us now normally when i start an interview i start with a very flippant how are you but this has more serious context i guess this time around um from a mental health perspective how are you, considering, obviously, the news that we've heard uh, recently about the passing of Jacinda Barclay? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Pete, for having me on. Um, obviously, difficult times for lots of people at the moment regarding the, the tragic news of Jacinda passing a couple of days ago. Um, I just, uh, my heart just goes out to her family, the GWS um, girls particularly. I've got a lot of friends at GWS as well as just the general AFLW community. And it's just, I guess, a timely reminder to check in with your mates. So... I'm doing okay. I'm very sad. And she was a, a, a fierce competitor on the field and a fantastic person off the field. And I, um, I'm sad to see that her time in this life has 
um, has come to an end. And I just, yeah, really hope that everyone can wrap their arms around their mates and, and look after each other um, so that we don't have this happen again. And we remind people, if you need someone to talk to, please call Lifeline on 131114. Tiana, let's take a step back through time, shall we? Let's go all the way back to when you were born in 1988. We go back to Queensland. <laughs> talk about life growing up uh, in the Cape York Peninsula. In fact, if I'm correct, you're actually born on Thursday Island. Yeah, that's right. Uh, very different to, obviously, uh, Melbourne climate. Um yeah, so it seems, obviously, that's 32 years ago now. Um, grew up in, obviously, the Cape region. Was born on Thursday Island. Um, just really remember an outdoors lifestyle. Um, my parents were um, remote teachers up at Bamagar, and so I spent the majority of my childhood in a remote Indigenous community, which was a fantastic experience. I have a huge amount of respect for the Torres Strait Islander Indigenous cultures that I was immersed in during that period. Um, and has given me so many life lessons and uh, memories that I still hold dear to dear to my heart. Um, and, and somewhere that, you know, hopefully now that I've got a bit more time up my sleeve in the next couple of years, maybe might be able to go back and revisit some of those memories. So, look, it was fantastic. Um, just, yeah, jumping out of trees into waterholes, camping, fishing. Um, yeah, it was fantastic and, and is the reason I'm the person I am today from that upbringing. I guess jokingly we should ask what makes you stand out more uh, living up in Cape York, being your height at 180 centimetres or being a pale skin, freckly redhead in the, in the uh, Torres Strait Islander community? Definitely my skin complexion was probably not suited for the uh, pretty harsh sun in, uh, in final Queensland and, and mum was pretty good to uh, make sun shirts even before sort of sun shirts became a thing when I was growing up and she always had me covered from head to toe in sunscreen and, uh, and a nice uh, amount of cotton layering on to try and sort of protect my skin and yes my red hair definitely um did make me stand out between all the the darker complexions of the community around me but uh that's i guess what i was remembered for and i've got some amazing photos of the i guess the contrast and complexions which are something that i really hold dear to myself as you grow up uh, you're a very sporty person in fact you actually represented your state when it came to high school level in athletics yes that's right yeah um Mum always tells the story that um, as we had um, uh, come down from uh, Far North Queensland down to uh, Gelatin, which is where our family home was for the remainder of my, my childhood, is that she enrolled me in, in school nearby. And I, um, yeah, just there was a little athletics carnival with the school and apparently I just sort of absolutely blitzed the rest of the competition and I had parents um, come up to my mother and say you need to do something with her her talent and so she enrolled me in little athletics and that was probably the start of my little athletics journey and then obviously competitive uh, journey at state level um, was in primary school and then high school and was lucky enough to represent Queensland and, and thankfully yeah for the amazing opportunities there and was able to even get a bronze medal at the national competition uh, in hurdles which was a yeah incredible achievement. Can you talk about the level of commitment at that stage in life in high school in athletics and the hours that you would put in each day, particularly living up there in northern Queensland, to try and compete at that level, which maybe at that stage in your life, your path was pointed towards maybe going to the AIS and seeing if you could represent Australia? Yeah, that's right. So I obviously just, all I remember growing up is that I just loved sport and um, my my training in those days were running on the beach, you know, hopefully trying to miss crocs and jellyfishes that might have been washed up on the shore um, in a really sort of raw um, training environment. Um, I mainly trained in, in bare feet and it was only until we sort of got to 
closer to pri- uh, high school that I actually had to wear shoes because we were, you know, running on tightened tracks. And then obviously the, the rules came in, you had to wear shoes. So I just remember a really raw, um, raw training experience and, and enhancing, I guess, the natural speed and agility that I had. Um, and then obviously, you know, getting to high school, then I, I was lucky enough to, uh, to work with some coaches in, 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 uh, in Cairns and so mum would drive me down to Cairns an hour and a half, three times a week, an hour and a half drive down and an hour and a half drive back to, so I could actually get some um, training on a Titan track and that was sort of the start of the journey. Um, and yeah, it was an amazing experience. You make it almost sound like nothing. Yeah, I was just running along. I just had to dodge some crocs. Yeah, just it was just that, I guess that was what we grew up with. I think someone uh, living potentially in the southern states of, of, of Australia would have a very different experience but that's just things that's the way that life was uh, a lot of things that can kill you in, in final queensland snakes crocs jellyfish and it's i don't know that was just the way things were and thankfully uh yeah didn't have any issues with injuries or or uh experiences where i was close called to any of those dangerous critters one of the most important moves that would end up seeing you divert down the australian rules football path was attending james cook university in cairns now, when you first attended university, was medicine always on your mind that you were going to uh, train in obstetrics and um, and gynaecology? Um, yes, yeah, so I was already enrolled in a Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery at James Cook University, and it was in my final two years of the six-year undergraduate degree that that's when I ran into the, the girls at the Menander Hawk. So, so I really didn't really know initially what type of uh, specialty of medicine that I wanted to do. And it was actually in Cairns where I actually got my first experience in obstetrics and gynecology. And it was the, was the experience that really went on to, I guess, make me pursue that area of medicine. And I really enjoyed that experience. Um, so, yeah, I sort of dabbled with a lot of different things uh, in my sort of junior medical career and then it was obstetrics that, and gynaecology was the thing that I found was really interesting and, and obviously the thing that I then pursued once I uh, moved back down to uh, Brisbane and then on to Melbourne. So you meet the Menunda Hawks. What are you thinking about this time? Again, you were just virtually in a solo sport when it comes to athletics. Now joining a team environment, you're studying and now you're putting yourself through this contact sport where back in 2011, there wasn't many women around Australia playing Aussie rules. Yeah, it was a bit of a random, I guess, interaction that I had with the girls. So I, as you said, was just really focusing on individual sports um, and just trying to keep fit. I walked out of a CCYC gym, having just done a boxing session, was dripping in sweat, looking pretty fit. And I just saw these girls uh, across across the road uh, kicking a football close to where my car was parked. And for one reason or another, I just went up to them and, and said, do you play footy? And do you need any players for their, for their team? And I think they took one look at me and looked at my physique and how fit I was. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Come down. We've got training on Thursday night. And I for one reason or another, just, yeah, went down and, and I just became instantly hooked. Obviously, the, the I guess the, the, the physical contact with it came with a, a good adrenaline rush. I'm used to, you know, being pretty rough in the backyard with my three younger brothers growing up, so I wasn't worried or, or scared about physical contact and it was my ability to utilise my, my speed and my agility, which obviously was my natural sort of strength athletically that allowed me to try and get around these girls and, and run away from the tackle. So I just, yeah, instantly got hooked and, and they were such a welcoming bunch of girls and really made me feel, um, I guess, yeah, accepted and, and welcomed. And, and it was really, you know, their 
their their influence, which gave me the passion to continue to pursue that uh, to the highest level possible. Next year, we'll bring up the 10th anniversary since you first ran around for the Mananda Hawks. Uh, do you still have much contact with them? <laughs> yeah, I do. Wow, I didn't even realise it was 10 years. That seems like a bit of a lifetime ago. But yeah, I do still um, keep in contact with them. Fiona Sharp, who is a recently um, um, recent president of the Mananda Hawks, um, as well as Karina White, who's the re- current coach. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly close to those two girls. They were at my wedding, um, and the two girls that probably had the biggest influence in terms of my, my, my I guess, elite um, sporting or elite AFL uh, career. Um, yeah, so it's just fantastic to see that since being there 10 years ago that the competition has blossomed within Cairns. I think there's now six teams. There used to be four. There might even be seven teams, actually. I'll have to double-check that. Um, and the girls are now actually more integrated into the into the men's competition as well. They now train on an amazing facility compared to the uh, pretty rough uh, ground that we were training on, you know, ten years ago when there was less support or less recognition for women's footy in, in far north Queensland. So it's fantastic to see the, the I guess, yeah, the, the improvements of, of 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 footy in Cairns. And I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, getting back down, uh, get, getting back up there at some stage, and maybe even having a little just gentle kick and run around with the girls again, just for good time's sake. It was an outstanding debut year in 2011 because you managed to represent the state of Queensland for the first time, running around wearing the number two and the maroon with the yes. white sash. Uh, your trip, I think, first time for you down to South Australia. Yes, that's right. Gosh, you've done your research. Um, yeah, so number two was what I wore, and. Um, I think I was wearing number five initially for the Menunda Hawks and two sort of looked like five upside down. So I thought that was a good number to take. And yes, first trip to Adelaide, froze my butt off. thought it was uh, absolutely unbearable to be running around in this cold. What is people doing running around in this type of climate? But uh, yeah, that was my first experience. And, and really that first experience I got playing against Western Australia and Victoria. And I just was marveled at how amazing these girls were and recognised, I guess, that step up of... Um, of, of skill and, and, and training that they obviously had to make them the dominant members of the of the national competition at that stage. Does competition like that give you a thirst to, to go higher again? And uh, we'd know that several years later you'd move down to Victoria. Can you tell us what it's like having that um, thirst taste of that? What was then elite level football? Yeah, it was it was amazing. It just made you want to feel want to get better. And uh, immerse yourself as much as possible in that, uh, I guess, AFL, well, AFL women's environment that it was at the stage. And, um, yeah, I just remember seeing how professional the Victorians um, were when they, when they turned up to the field, the way that they conducted themselves in warm ups and, and just their training. Um, and then obviously the games, they just had this next level, uh, level of, of, I guess, professionalism in the way that they went around their footy. And, that was amazing and you know, we recognised that Queensland was a little bit behind the times in terms of AFL development for women's and it just made me and lots of many other girls, uh, including Katie Brennan, Astro Connor were in that team as well, um, obviously recognising that we wanted to be better and obviously pursue greatness uh, for ourselves but obviously hopefully for our state, state eventually too. So um, that was what drove me and then obviously 2013 I represented Queensland again and that was in Cairns and I remember the Victorians came up and they had these ice vests and it was it was, look it was pretty humid in Cairns but they had these ice vests on the on the sideline whenever they sort of um, rotated off off the field and 
just the next level professionalism that 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 unit went about and absolutely dominated the um, majority of the competition that year was just amazing to see and I really wanted to be part of it. It'd be rather ironic that uh, yourself, Asta and Katie uh, would A, all represent Victoria together four years later. We'll go into <laughs> detail about that. And you would all end up being teammates at the Western Bulldogs. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's amazing, isn't it? And I think there's a photo out there of you, and I think it might be some of the North Queensland girls in your Queensland jumpers with a young Katie Brennan photo bombing in the background. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah. that, 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 that shows uh, what life was like in 2011. At the same time you're playing Aussie Rules, you're actually balancing that with playing rugby. That's right, yeah. So I played a bit of dabbled with a bit of rugby union, um, and that was something that I also, um, yeah, really enjoyed the physical contact. And again, my speed allowed me to sort of be a really nifty little winger and and score a lot of tries. And um, probably my physique was much much better for um, AFL, and and uh, there was sort of less opportunities back then as well for the uh, women's rugby. So, and yeah, AFL was definitely the the main sport that I was passionate about. So. But do yeah, do really appreciate the, the experiences I got it within within women's rugby. Wouldn't be able to do it again though. I think my body would be too sore if I did it now. <laughs> I was going to say that the, the, there's obviously been the cross code athletes that have jumped across. Chloe Dalton and Brooke Walker, the most famous, had Carlton jumping across from rugby sevens to Aussie rules, and Chloe's jumping back again to rugby sevens. And Caitlin Edwards at Collingwood has jumped across to playing rugby. In a perfect world, if you had more free times on your hand and say you had another career and you weren't in the medicine field, which takes up a lot of your time, would you have actually considered the switch, considering the, the, the hype, particularly when it comes to the Olympics around women's rugby sevens, would you have thought about having a crack at that? Oh, gosh, I think, yeah, if I wasn't also trying to juggle medicine on the side, I think definitely I would have potentially pursued that opportunity. When I was at university, rugby sevens was, um, was an opportunity for girls um, to have sort of within a inter, I guess, college uh, competition that they ran every year. And, and that was my first taste of rugby sevens. And I definitely preferred that format versus the 14 aside, um, you know, this original format of, of rugby. Um, absolutely, that would that would have been an absolutely amazing opportunity. And yeah, ask me 10 years ago when I was a bit younger, I definitely would have pursued that. But um, it, that's all right. I'll uh, hopefully be able to watch those girls at the Olympics in the next couple of years and, and yeah, admire that they've been able to continue the balance. Talk about the move for the first time down to southeast Queensland to continue your studies and your football career with Griffith Maruka. Yeah, so I had graduated from um, a Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery with honours at James Cook University and it was time to then actually enter the, the working world within medicine and so I became an intern, which is sort of your first year out of med school at Ipswich Hospital. Um, and it was during that time that I then obviously um, joined the Griffith Marika Reds. I had befriended um, Jenna Van Dyke and um, a couple of other girls that had played in 2011 uh, for the Queensland team and obviously had those contacts in Brisbane. So they were starting up Griffith Marika as a bit of a startup club at the time. And, and yeah, so... Went up, um, went in, joined those girls, and and played a couple of seasons there. And um, yeah, it was it was a much larger competition compared to the competition in in Cairns. So, opportunity again to sort of grow and develop as a player. And um, and yeah, that was probably where I um I then made the, the biggest amount of my um development within footy, and uh and then obviously went on to to represent Queensland again in 2013 in Cairns for the national competition. 
do you look back in amazement at some of the players that you were playing against at that time in the QWAFL that would end up being not only your competitors in AFLW, but would be your future teammates in about seven years' time at the uh, Gold Coast Suns? Yeah, so Jade Pagelli was definitely considered the queen of women's football at that stage and was by far the best player in, in, in the state at the time. And I remember going to Queensland training, so for the, obviously in the lead-up to the to the 2013 uh, national competition and, and Jade Pagelli's uh, figure of being an athletic sort of uh, player was sort of plastered on this on the wall of the Yoronga Football Club, which is also the home of um, AFL Queensland. And I remember looking at her picture, and she had these big dreadlocks at that stage, and and was a bit of a fierce competitor, particularly in the midfield. And and yeah, she was probably the most recognisable person back then. And then obviously stepped away from footy for a bit for her um, professional career. But then it's fantastic to be able to reconnect with her back at the Gold Coast Suns, and and definitely one of the girls that I was closest to. Um, last year, um, running around with the the uh, yeah red and red and yellow with the Gold Coast Suns. So, 2013 would be your last year in Queensland before the move down to Victoria. As you were talking about earlier, you played in the national championships with Queensland again up in Cairns. You talked about the Victorians wearing ice vests, so it was probably the furthest <laughs> thing from your mind actually moving down to Victoria. But did did the, did the spark to move down to Victoria actually happen then? Was there, and we don't talk about the socialising that happens behind the scenes with everyone getting to meet everyone from all these states that come in for this tournament. Was that the initial thought of just talking to the Victorians of, yeah, maybe I should be taking a crack at this in the VWFL? Yeah, I do recognise, I do rec- remember that we def- definitely had some conversations with the Victorians after the um, end of the 2013 uh, national competition. I remember we all sort of went out that night and and seemed to mingle. And at that stage, um, Katie, um, I think, was just about to move down to, to um, Victoria as well, or may have just actually already made the move. And, um, yeah, so we we obviously got to know a lot of those girls there, and there was lots of connections with friends. So I definitely remember a conversation saying, yeah, definitely come down and, and move. And, and Steph Chiocci was, was playing in the Victorian team at the time. And um, so, those yeah, those conversations happened initially. And then um, I – obviously, the exhibition matches started – uh, from then as well, and I saw the girls uh, from Queensland start to get um, start to get drafted to the Western Bulldogs in the Melbourne in the startup exhibition matches, and and yeah, just desperately wanted to be part of that experience and recognise that you know the the best best players are coming out of Western Australia and Victoria, and maybe I should take a bit of an adventure and go down and meet them and see what we could do in terms of you know pursuing that to the best of my ability. And we need to ask a very important question at this juncture before that move down to Victoria. What AFL team did you follow at that point? <laughs> Gosh, um, I don't, can't even remember. I think probably the Hawks, mainly because Menunda Hawks were, the, you know, the Hawks colours. I, I, to be honest, I couldn't tell you. I didn't grow up within a AFL, you know, family. My brothers played NRL football. Um, I really liked the um, North. Um, North Queensland Cowboys in NRL when I was at university. So I can't even remember who I I, I actually bad yeah, barracked for. I think probably the Hawks, but not to the, the passion that I um I now and the and I guess the connection that I have with Westford Bulldogs and Gold Coast Suns now. We've talked before uh, a couple of years ago about that famous email that you sent to uh, AFL Victoria to say, Hey, I'm coming down, I'm looking for a club. First of all, do you actually still have that email? 
I'll look, to be honest, if I look through my emails, I probably do still have it. Um, I've still got the same email address. And, yeah, emailed Jess Smith um, at AFL Victoria. Um, and she was the head of women's football at the time. And, and yeah, it just, it just I guess it's just one of those things. It just was an easy transition. Go, uh, the Diamond Creek answered, you know, Darren Logan at Diamond Creek answered the email within 20 minutes. And it just was just, yeah, very easy. So I, it would be amazing to think what would have happened if I potentially went to a different club. I hopefully, you know, a similar outcome, but I'm sure a completely different experience. But yeah, just just so grateful that uh, Darren and then obviously Steph Chochi contacted me shortly after that email and, and we got talking and then, yeah, moved in with Tanya Hetherington and the rest is history. That email changed your life in two ways. And again, we'll talk about that very, very soon. But I'm interested to know, because we know the story that Diamond Creek got back to you very quickly and that set you on the path to play for the Creekers. But did you actually ever get any replies from any of the other clubs? Uh, I think I got a reply um, from the Eastern Devils, uh, but it was many days later. I think it was at least six or six or seven days. And by that stage, uh, obviously everything was in motion to potentially join the Creekers. So it was an easy easy decision just to go with the, the guys that um, had initially contacted me. But no, no one else actually got back to me uh, that I can recall. Um, and to be honest, I think Jess did sort of um, push me in the direction of, of clubs that needed um, some players. And, and at the time, Diamond Creek and Eastern Devils were the two that she had suggested contacting first. Of course, uh, they needed a ruck there at the uh, Diamond Creek Football Club. Uh, just just quietly, I think they were okay at the Eastern Devils. Someone called Lou Watton was running around at <laughs> <Yeah>. that stage. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, it all, all happened out. It all happened for a reason, and, yeah, it all worked out. What were your first impressions of meeting the Creekers? Um, I just remember how hot it was because it was a, it was a um, Victorian, really hot, windy summer day. I'd actually gone down a little bit early before actually then making the move and I joined them with a pre-season, uh, for a pre-season training and uh, it was a, it was great. Uh, yeah, it was a positive experience and a positive um, first impression that yeah, a lot of the girls got around me really, really quickly and Darren Logan made sure to make me feel welcome and, and supported. I think the first thing, and, and Laura, Laura, my um, partner, still tells the story and it told it on our wedding day was that I think the first thing for that training was a 2K time trial and I um, managed to beat everyone during that 2K time trial and her first impression of me during that time was who does she think she is just rocks up and and beats everyone on the on the track so um, yeah I I remember the the training to be exciting and was looking forward to the opportunity of actually then moving down and and meeting uh, and actually joining them earlier in the year. I can understand Laura's first impressions because they would have expected, you know, a tall, gangly ruck in the past would be okay. They'd be at the back of the pack, some slow galloping giraffe just trying yeah. to make their way around the ground instead of just whipping everyone. But since you mentioned Laura, your wife, first of all, happy second anniversary for oh, both thank you. for both you and Laura. What were your first impressions of your now wife, Laura? <laughs> oh, she wouldn't mind me saying this, but she's always been renowned for a bit, bit of it pretty serious character and, and serious uh, first impressions and uh, the, the uh, Diamond Creek girls fondly called her Grumpy Cat um, and so she has, yeah, she was a pretty serious um, competitor and, and um, yeah, so my first impression was she was taking things a lot very seriously but I soon, you know, learnt, to, learnt that she's an incredibly intelligent and, and fun person to be around with and, and obviously, yeah, grateful for the opportunity to meet her and for her to then be such a big part of my life. And I should actually ask, did 
either one of you ask each other out or did a teammate actually play matchmaker? <laughs> no, I think we sort of worked it out ourselves. Um, it wasn't, you know, obviously the initial attention, but yeah, we just got to, to know each other and, and realise we had very similar interests and and yeah, I guess that's sort of how things grew. Um, but it was for, you know, it was about a year later um, that things sort of started to kick off. So initially we were just teammates and then it was enjoy- enjoyable just getting to know all the girls, including Laura at the time. And life develops for you faster, that 2014, 2015, 2016 period. Uh, 2014, you get to play your first grand final with uh, the Diamond Creek Women's Football yeah. Club uh, at Coburg, uh, going down that day to Darabin. Can you talk about what it's like um, uh, going through your first Victorian season and then having to come up against what was at that time the juggernaut known as Darabin? Yeah, that was an incredible year. I just remember being very cold as well, obviously, compared to the climate in, in Queensland. Um, Diamond Creek had just come off winning uh, the 2012 grand final, and obviously, I soon came to know the fierce rivalry between Darabin and Diamond Creek uh, during that, that decade of, of football. Um, I just remember lots of people watching, and to be honest, back in those days, compared to now, women people watching women's football, it was a pretty small crowd but still compared to what I was used to there was I just remember there was lots of people there and the yeah the fierce rivalry um on the field was obviously a significant level above whatever I'd previously experienced and um yeah fantastic to be part of that experience um sad to see us go down and I think we then tried to get get win for the next couple of years as well and um met them in finals again for, uh, for the first for the following couple of years as well. And, and yeah, some pretty heated uh, uh, rivalry experiences against Darabin, but just a fantastic, you know, competitive spirit and, and you know, something that will go down in history, I think, with that rivalry. Around 2014, 2015, we see the exhibition matches. We see the first, uh, the second one played in 2014. Two were played in 2015. What was the talk between uh, the powers that be to the players at that point from what you were hearing about the momentum building behind a potential national women's competition? Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Obviously, we didn't know a lot about who would enter the competition. Melbourne and, and Bulldogs had obviously uh, indicated their their significant interest, obviously having held the exhibition matches. Um, at the time, they were obviously starting to develop a bit of a Victorian academy or start the, the process of, of building a bit of list of, of key players around Victoria and um, definitely moves to increase the resources and training around different clubs um, so that the training and the professionalism for the girls potentially going into that, you know, into that opportunity, um, is was at the, the best level was possible. Um, you could really see the hunger in a lot of the girls training, not only within your own club but just within the competition to just better themselves and get ready. Um, and then obviously fantastic if they could get an opportunity in the exhibition matches leading up to obviously what was the draft in 2016. Before the switch got flicked in late 2015 to say 2017 would be go, it's still an amateur sport. So can, can you talk about being uh, then as a um, obstetrics and a, a gynecology register at Monash Health and your relationship with football then? It's pretty much a case of seeing as much as you've moved down to Victoria to improve yourself, it's still a hobby. And if you have to miss a game of football because of work, so be it. 
Yeah, look, I, I can't remember actually if I ever missed a game, but I, yeah, it was still obviously something on top of what I was trying to achieve professionally. And um, first, obviously, my first thought was to make a good impression on the my colleagues and my bosses at, at the Mon- uh, at Monash Health at where I was working. Um, and then obviously, if I could sort of sit put in around it, it was that was that was obviously desirable. Um, amazingly, footy obviously is so much more well known within Victoria compared to Australia, uh, compared to Queensland. And so I found it pretty easy to um, first get the support from my consultants that, oh, yeah, you play footy, yes, you know, which which team do you play for? And there was a, definitely a lot more recognition for the game itself um, in Victoria compared to Queensland, but also that, oh, yeah, girls, yeah, I think there's some girls that play footy. Um, definitely not, obviously, the recognition that there is today about AFLW, but um, yeah, I was just lucky enough that I worked hard, um, was able to arrange some shift swaps so that I made trainings and, and games, and and yeah, it sort of all worked balanced. Um, but then obviously the balance just became a little bit more increasing as obviously the demands of trainings and stuff like that increased um, over the last couple of years. But in those initial days, it was something that I was able to achieve. And thankfully, being a junior doctor at the time, I didn't have too many sort of uh, responsibilities or night shifts going on in those first couple of years. You moved down to Victoria to try and hope to get to the AFL women's exhibition matches. You don't succeed in 2014 or in the first draft of 2015. What's your advice from going through that period and trying to bounce back from it, particularly to the young women who have We've just had a draft. We've just missed out in the draft, particularly for, say, Victorian women over the age of 18 who were this year very unlucky, unable to play football due to COVID-19. What's your advice to them on that missing out and having to go again? I just think you just got to keep at it. Just keep your head down and just keep working hard. Um, I recognise that I was a latecomer to the game and there was a lot of things that I still needed to learn. Um, Darren Logan spent a lot of time with me at the Diamond Creek um, in those first, well, in that first particularly 12 to 18 months, really um, trying to improve my kick. Um, I'd never really been taught how to kick before I actually moved to Diamond Creek. And so that to be a couple of things that I needed to undo in my, my technique, but then obviously then grasp certain certain um, skills that allowed me to actually then improve as, a, as an individual player, not only individual player, but then you need to be able to learn how to work as a team. And being an athletic ruck, I then started to improve my craft and I recognised I wasn't about to walk straight into the exhibition matches. I needed to work hard and, and obviously was able to work hard and, and refine some of those skills and my understanding of the game and that's obviously what gave me my opportunity eventually in the second half of 2015. What was going through your head the moment that you found out you'd be taken in the 2015 mini-draft by the Melbourne Football Club and you'd be making your debut in the second AFL women's match for that year, which just, by the way, happened to be the first televised women's footy game on TV. Yeah, I think I was at work, actually, at the time when it got um, announced. And I think at the time it was being announced on Twitter or Facebook or something. Um, And, yeah, and I was busily sort of running around Bursuit, the Box Hill Hospital, and at the time I was actually working with Daisy Pearce at the time um, for that sort of six months and... And I'd gotten to know her and obviously knowing that she was at, at Melbourne Demons sort of secretly hoped that if I was getting an opportunity, it was going to be at Melbourne Demons. And, and yeah, name got called out and, um, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Obviously, the girls at, 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 at Box Hill, obviously, given that Daisy was there, were pretty supportive and, and impressed that I was potentially also going to join her as a teammate. And, and yeah, it was just, yeah, pretty exciting uh, opportunity and, and 
yeah, just it was a bit surreal, I guess, that it was actually going to all happen and then for it to be televised as well. Considering that you were working alongside Daisy Pierce, um, do you mind talking footy while you're at work or is it one of those things of, hey, don't talk shop, let's not talk footy while we're at work <laughs> because otherwise we'll drive ourselves insane? Um, oh, look, both Daisy and I love talking footy and uh, we're, we're pretty lucky. We're very similar that if you know there's something that we need to do at work, we're pretty switched on focused and particularly if there's emergencies, we get in there and then we're, you know, we're a midwife or a doctor first and uh, we were both very good at being able to switch in and out of out of sort of footy mode versus professional mode. Um, but yeah, definitely if there was downtime or if there was a lunch time or a sort of a morning tea opportunity, we'd sit down and have a cup of tea and, and have a bit of a chat about it. She was um, a fantastic person to work with and a fantastic midwife. And um, there's been a couple of occasions that I will always remember of working together with her, whereas you know, the, the day before playing against Darabin against her um, when we were playing in obviously in the uh, Victorian Women's Football League at the time. So some pretty amazing, opportunity, I guess, experiences where we were, you know, being fierce competitors the day before and then we were being close and, and well-united team or team players within the professional sense the next day, which is um, yeah, something pretty special. Of course, there would be that famous photo in the paper of yourself and Daisy both holding a baby, almost looking like it was going to be (laughs) hand-passed. I I guess two questions from that. First of all, what did the mother of the baby think? Going, oh, yeah, by the way, we just need to have the baby in the photo (laughs) if it's like a football. And second of all, when you you see that that story kind of run out, are you A, proud of it, or B, do your eyes roll a little bit going, okay, this is a little bit cheesy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, look, the, the mum was um, super excited and I think she was a Melbourne Demon supporter herself. So uh, she had no issues and knew that her baby was in safe hands with both Daisy and I being there. Um, look, they, the media in the you know over the years have, have loved the, the uh, photos of me and Daisy both being within our medical um, medical environment, I guess, obviously then with footballs and, and you know, in our in our guernsey so i've come to learn that it is something just part of the media process of being involved in afl women's um so yeah it's a, a bit surreal initially and, and something i was pretty awkwardly sort of standing there not knowing what to do initially when they're trying to take a photo um but very proud of obviously having that influence within the professional space and 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 proud that i became recognized for what i did and what i was able to achieve and yeah it sort of just became part of what i needed to do to be able to promote myself and promote my story um, over the next you know few years within Victoria. Leading up to that first TV game, um, uh, playing for the Melbourne Demons, you only get about two, two and a half days together um, at Amy Park and Gosh's Paddock training with the Demons before you've got to run out there. Can you explain what it's like being under Michelle Cowan for just two and a half days, having to cram in some type of information and form some type of camaraderie as a team before running out there in such a short space of time? Yeah, look, it was a... Uh, pretty surreal experience. We all got, you know, siphoned into Melbourne Demons headquarters at um, just underneath Amy Park, and um, uh, Michelle was very good at making sure that we were all switched on and focused, and actually very good at building that teamwork connection from from the first minute we all sort of were together. Uh, I remember her first team address, and you could hear, you know, you would have been able to hear a pin drop because everyone was just switched on and focused on every word that she was able to uh, that she was saying. Um, and even, you know, her, she, she took time to build those relationships, even if it was only two days worth of relationships 
actually um, had time for with every single player. So um, I just remember that, you know, she, yeah, she led from the front in terms of her attitude and, and focus and the girls then followed her. And um, I thought we did a pretty amazing job to be able to sort of come together with only a couple of days and then be able to run out um, onto uh, what was Eddie Had Stadium at the time and, and be a pretty united unit and then obviously convincingly win over the Western Bulldogs. You're listening to our interview with Dr. Tiana Ernst, former AFLW player with the Western Bulldogs and the Gold Coast Suns. We're talking about her 2015 AFLW exhibition match with the Melbourne Demons that was played at what now known as Marvel Stadium, and it was the first ever televised women's footy match. We'll return to our interview with Dr. Tiana Ernst right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au in Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, this is the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're chatting with Dr. Tiana Ernst, recently retired Western Bulldogs and Gold Coast Suns footballer, representing the Bulldogs through the 2017, 2018 and 2019 seasons, including a flag in 2018, and more recently with the Gold Coast Suns in 2020. Just a few weeks ago, she announced her retirement from semi-professional football to focus on her medical career. We're currently chatting about her performance at the 2015 AFL Women's Exhibition Match between Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs at what now is known as Marvel Stadium stadium it's a game where a serious injury occurred so you've run out there and two things happen in that game we'll talk about the good and the not so good from a good perspective you go up against emma king who at that stage playing for the western bulldogs was possibly seen as the number one ruck in the country the stats would show that you match her in just about every column that can you can measure so an outstanding performance from yourself but what takes that performance to the next level is what we find about post-game. And I remember you uh, uh, messaging me a day or so later afterwards. Can you talk about the injury to your kidney? Yeah. So, um, obviously, I was just switched on and, and was trying to do the best I could for my team. I didn't even know about the stats that we were sort of equal. I just was pretty determined to to do everything possible to try and be competitive against her. And she had a couple of well, good sort of 10 centimetres on me too and, and recognised that she had a pretty elite leap. And um, I just needed to try and be smart and, and try and sort of beat her around the ground and obviously then be uh, pretty, uh, I guess, physical whenever we did have a ruck contest together. Um, yeah, recognised that in just early in the in the second quarter. Um, I still remember she sort of changed her position in the ruck contest at a centre bounce, and I didn't decide to change my positioning based on her slight adjustment. And 
her knee went into my uh, right upper quadrant and um, I just remember feeling winded initially and, oh gosh, that hurts, and sort of hit the deck and then had to sort of jump up straight away because there was another ruck contest um, or ball up uh, shortly after that. And, yeah, so just had to sort of keep playing and felt pain, but probably I think the adrenaline rush obviously sort of masked a lot of the, the symptoms that something seriously was wrong and then, Sitting in the ice bath the days after the game, just started to have nausea come over me. And then I remember trying to walk our bags up to a, a media room that we were sort of all meeting in um, somewhere in the stadium afterwards and just feeling very sick. And yeah, and then went to the bathroom and, and passed a significant amount of blood and knew something was seriously wrong after the game and was probably ch- chucked in a, a car and, and, and taken to Epworth, Richmond, and, and obviously found out shortly after that that I'd ruptured my kidney. and and had a pretty significant injury that needed over a week in hospital and a significant amount of time out of the game, but also from um, working as well as a doctor. That must have been very tough on you. Um, I remember you spending several days in the hospital. There was a photo of you um, in the paper looking out the window. It must have been a bit, I guess, surreal for you at the same time of... One moment you're flying along and now you're out of action in both a playing perspective, your career perspective, and now here's Sam Lane from The Age coming in to yeah. write a story about you. Yeah, I, I was just really sick at the time. So looking back, uh, when you put it like that, it it was pretty surreal at the time. I was just probably trying to battle getting through, um, obviously, the pain and the nausea that came with the injury. Um, I was very drugged out those first couple of days and can't really, really remember a lot. Um but yeah, just um, it was it was amazing to see the recognition and the in, in influx of, of support and, and uh, well wishes not only from Sam and the media but also from so many players, both within Melbourne Demons and as well as the, the Western Bulldogs. Emma King um, messaged me. I remember on Facebook and, and said, you know, she's sorry, and she didn't obviously have had no intention, and I, I knew that it was. It was just one of those accidents that come with being in a in a physical and, and contact sport, and um, yeah, I still got all of those messages from from the girls, and and you know, news travelled pretty quickly in that 24 hours afterwards that I'd been seriously injured, and and yeah, just thankful that I haven't had any ongoing physical repercussions associated with it. We should uh, jokingly ask, uh, because at that stage you're sharing a house with future GWS Giants footballer Tanya <laughs> Hetherington. How's she like playing nurse at home while you're uh, oh, laid up on the couch? Oh, <laughs> oh, she can make a good cup of tea and that's about it. Uh, she, was, she, was, she was very supportive. Obviously, um, the first thing was um, I needed someone to look after our rescue greyhound that we'd only recently adopted. And obviously being in hospital for over a week, Laura was at my bedside most days and Paul Mesa was uh, was quite neglected at home. So Tanya had to look after the dog and that was uh, an interesting experience for her, having not ever had a pet herself. So um, that was probably the biggest memory I had was trying to coach her through actually how to feed the dog and look after the dog. Um, but then obviously when I did get home, she was great at um, uh, just, I guess, just generally being supportive and, and a good cup of tea as well. Am I right at that time by saying, if I recall correctly, I think it was around that time that Mesa jumped the fence or bolted off down the street? Yeah, <laughs> yeah she did. So that was while we were in hospital. Uh, uh, Tanya got home and had realised that Mesa had been fretting, obviously with only just being rescued and us not being at home. That uh, yeah, she jumped into the neighbour's uh, backyard and and it was uh, quite a heated conversation between Laura and Tanya trying to figure out where this dog was. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, yeah, so Tanya had to go and find the dog, and thankfully Darren Logan came over and saved her, and was able to get Mesa safely back inside our house. And um, yeah, it was just a little bit of added, added drama to the week that I was obviously bed down in hospital. Now, because you couldn't play for the remainder of 2015 and had to recuperate, you obviously had to sit back and, and watch Diamond Creek uh, go through their finals campaign without you. Laura, Laura Corrigan wound up taking over the uh, ruck duties. Maybe a step in the direction of something that you might be doing post-footy career. I'm going to play 30 seconds of audio this is from the 2015 semi-final between Darabin and Diamond Creek at Witten Oval and a familiar voice. So we know that Darabin always come out very hard. So I think that was one of the main goals for the Creekers was that they needed to come out with a, you know, a presence. And I think that's what they definitely did in the first five minutes. Unfortunate that they didn't keep that up for the rest of the half, uh, rest of the quarter, sorry. Um, you know, I, I think that they still did well considering that the, the, the you know, the difference of the, the of the breeze makes on this, on Witten Oval today. Um, and I hope that they go in to second quarter with their heads held high and that they can obviously still come back from it because anything can happen and we obviously know they've still got three quarters ahead. A nervous first start, first and only <laughs> debut on our radio station. Um, is that a future career for you now that you've hung up the playing boots at the national level? Are we going to see Dr Tiana Ernst in the media? Oh, I don't know about the media. I don't know if I've got the gift of the gab compared to some of the other girls that are running around there or or retired. Um, I think probably my biggest influence will be, firstly, obviously at the Gold Coast Suns next year. I uh, continue. I aim to continue having a leadership role off field and and really trying to mentor the girls, particularly those younger girls, in in what it takes to be uh, a player at the elite level in terms of discipline and professionalism. But I. I'll be very happy to leave the media jobs to Daisy and Lauren Arnell and Amanda Perugia, and I'll be more interested in the research behind the um, obviously players and, and the impact of training at the elite level, and obviously the contact sport of AFW on on their body. I've had ideas of research uh, in the area for well over six or seven years now, but really had no time to be able to put any of those ideas into actions. And hopefully now I have a bit more time, I can then have a little bit of a look into some research ideas about obviously um, women's health and, and AFLW and the impact between both of them on obviously injury but also performance as well and looking forward to seeing what I can contribute in that area. Two other things I want to talk about in uh, 2015. Uh, one of them is you played interstate football again but you didn't represent Queensland. Yourself, Aster and Katie, as I mentioned earlier, all represented the Big V in that uh, famous game against West Australia at Subiaco, where WA had caused the upset and won by two points. <laughs> we should point out, to be fair, WA also had a few um, uh, ring-ins, including Brooke White uh, from Victoria. Their captain, uh, Cara Antonio, of course, was a Victorian. And, of course, they had a Tasmanian, Jessica Ruchner. Um, what do you remember about that game? I remember saying at the time, and I still hold it to, to in this high regard, it was the best game of women's football I'd seen. I thought it was better than the exhibition matches for the intensity. Absolutely. It was an incredible competition. And I just, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought the level of, of intensity of that game and, and feedback over was so enormous. I just remember running and running and running all day. I had actually had a quite a significant uh, ankle injury in the week leading into that um, game. I'd done it, rolled my ankle playing against Darabin in bloody wet and slippery weather the week before at um, 
at uh, at Diamond Creek, and and so was more a bit panicked leading into that game that I was actually going to be able to be as mobile as I'd previously been on in those sort of representative opportunities, and had my ankle pretty. Uh, strongly strapped up so that it didn't cause any issues and thankfully was able to get through the game and obviously compete against Emma King again um, and was lucky enough that I um, I think the performance that I put out in the park for the Victorians that day was probably one of the biggest influences why um, Grovesy then picked me up for the Western Bulldogs in the 2016 draft um, and it's amazing to hear the names of the people that are in that in those teams then and obviously where they've ended up and the successes that they've had for their individual clubs now in the last couple of years. During the summer of 2015-2016, women's football academies are being run, particularly in Victoria when more than 100 women are invited as part of a uh, program to try and fast track everyone to get ready for an AFLW pre-season that would happen 12 months later. Um, can you talk about what's going through your mind at that stage? Of course, again, you're still trying to recover from that uh, kidney injury. Are you feeling like at that stage of, oh, no, am I am I slipping behind? Am I going to miss out while everyone else is um, getting fitter, faster, stronger? Yeah, it was interesting. I think there was a, a definite apprehension by lots of girls about making sure that they were putting their, you know, their best foot forward in terms of their their training and how they were representing themselves on the field in, in terms of those coaches that were, I guess, eyeing us off for being potential draftees. Um, I was just excited for the opportunity and some of those experiences and the, the, the friendships that I developed with girls that play for multiple clubs now, both within the VFL as well as AFLW, um, just being able to hang out with them during those experiences is something that I really, really, really appreciate and, and remember dearly. Um I obviously was coming back from my injury um, of my kidney, so I was a bit nervous about physically being able to put on some muscle and and be physically ready for it um, and just remember running a lot in those summers, obviously, because the, the uh, academies were run over the summer. But, um, yeah, I think generally everyone was just really excited about the opportunities and what was actually going to come. And then obviously then being able to be there on draft day and being one of those top 50 that were invited to the draft was something that obviously I worked hard enough and was um, very proud that I was getting that sort of recognition of potentially being drafted and obviously then being drafted on that day. One thing I did notice in 2016 when you finally made your comeback to play for Diamond Creek, if I recall correctly, it was around the middle of the uh, season was a change in role for you. You'd always been known or at least seen in Victoria as being the lead ruck for Diamond Creek. But when you came back, you originally came back as a centre-half back. Yeah, that's right. So I'd actually never played any other position other than ruck in all my and under Hawks, Griffith Maruka, representative footy for both Queensland and Victoria. Uh, and then I got changed to uh, centre-half back. And I think it was Tanya Hetherington that actually made that made that switch um, as she was coaching in those couple of years. And um, it was something that instantly sort of became very natural to me. And I quite enjoyed, you know, um, I guess running from the back, uh, obviously with my speed, but then obviously utilising my reach to be able to spoil and and hopefully make a difference from the defence point of view. And obviously probably some of my fondest memories within the AFLW was my um, my position in in, in defence and, and my ability to influence that the team. Let's talk about the Diamond Creek coaches because under your time you had Grant Barton, 
Brad Liederman, Tanya Hetherington and Scott Gowans as your respective yeah. coaches. Can you talk about their different styles, particularly having to lead a unique club that's the Creekers? I think probably the, all the things that um, I guess unite every one of those coaches is their passion for women's footy. And that was something that was so evident. Uh, they all had their very different styles, which was completely fine. Uh, but they all were just so enthusiastic about, um, I guess, getting the most out of the girls and, and really understanding the difference between women's football and male football, but also how women think compared to males. Um, Tanya being Tanya being a, a player herself um, probably had the best insight, being a female herself as well. Um, but both um, um, both all, all three of the men um, brought such a calmness. Um, Grant was um, known for his fiery um, rev ups, which I, I quite appreciated. I don't mind a, a, a fiery rev, a rev up, but both um, Brad and, and Scott um, had a really kind and, and calm composure about them, and really uh, allowed us to. I guess improve our finesse regarding specific skills and and different tempos of the game, which was something that was so well known within Victoria versus Queensland footy was that ability to play tempo footy and change lanes and be able to change the 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 speed of the game based upon the skills that we were able to develop. So um, I'm the player that I am today based on their development of me. Um, and really appreciate all the time that they've taken to be able to build me as a player. So the end of 2016, uh, Diamond Creek have missed the finals for the first time in a while, um, simply because you had almost a hospital ward of injuries. I think about half the senior team were out with injuries. Uh, How was... I guess you feeling at that stage because you're a lot different to everyone else. Obviously, you're just coming back from that kidney injury. What's everyone else feeling like that you're chatting with? Because they've just gone through some tough exhibition matches and interstate games in 2015. They've come through a full summer preseason training. They've had a full season. By the way, there's something like four exhibition games because it was a completely different format in 2016. How's everyone mentally and physically feeling even before we get to the draft? Yeah, I do remember everyone feeling pretty stretched in 2016 because obviously then with those those change of formats of the exhibition series, there was training almost every night of the week. And I think it was probably the first time where the increasing demands of the elite preparation that they were starting to expect from us as, as players at the highest level um, started to actually potentially become significantly yeah, in, impact upon everyone's lives. And obviously I was trying to work as a, uh, so I was on the, I was accepted onto the RANS COG, which is the specialty college that I do my obstetrics and gynecology training through. I was accepted into their college um, in that year as well. And so started my training and, and recognized just even for myself, the increasing demands of trainings for your club, then obviously the academy and then potentially even exhibition on top of that, um, how that, became even harder to, to build into the week of study or work or whatever you were trying to do. So um, everyone was feeling a bit sort of tired and stretched because we really hadn't had much of a break between the 2015 season and then obviously running into the academy and then running into the season again. So probably the first look at what the balance would entail for many people that were then going to be involved in the AFL to come. So it comes around to October, the draft... One round, two rounds, three rounds. The <laughs> rounds keep ticking by and your name hasn't been read out yet. How are you starting to feel as they roll through picks 50, 60, 70? Oh, I was a bit of a bundle of nerves. I sort of, those first 50 picks were pretty 
nerve-wracking. Steph shot, she got taken pretty early, uh, and that was that was obviously to be expected. And uh, I remember sitting there next to next to Laura and a couple of the other uh, Diamond Creek teammates, and you sort of I was just screaming in my seat for most of the time. Um, but then, yeah, oh, I was amazingly. I I didn't think I was going to get picked up with the Bulldogs. I thought my best chances were probably either at um, at Melbourne or the, or Carlton. Um, but to be honest, was so appreciative and so thankful that I got picked up the Western Bulldogs because of the experiences I've had because of that opportunity. So things happen for a reason. Um, one of the most memorable days of my athletic career, I guess, sitting there on draft day and I can still feel the sweat on my palms as I was sitting there trying to wait for it and then just the sort of numbness and surrealness when my name then actually did get called out. Number 108. It seems hard to believe 108 that you were taken at in the 2016 AFL Women's Draft. So the reality sets in, you're taken by the Western Bulldogs. You start to have a look at who are going to be your teammates as you go forward at the elite level. You probably look at the sheet and you go, OK, there's me, there's Astor O'Connor, there's Lauren Spark, there's Elise Gamble. You go, that's four of us who play ruck. Where do I fit? Yeah, well, I think um, obviously having conversations with uh, Grovey after that after that um, draft pick, um, I think I was I was pretty sure that I was going to be a ruck of some description, mainly because I I know that Tanya Hetherington was actually a big advocate for me getting drafted and had um, made sure that Grovey and and Mick had um, looked at the the footage of me playing ruck against Emma King, and it was out of those. Look at them looking at that footage that they decided to pick me up. Um, I was just happy to be part of the team. I really didn't worry too much for that first period of time about what my role was for the team. I assumed I was going to be playing ruck, and um, that's what I obviously did play for the first season of, of Western Bulldogs. But um, I was just so happy to have the experience and immerse myself in that AFLW culture and, and particularly the Western Bulldogs community and family culture as well. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't too worried about specifically what I was going to be doing on the field initially. What were your first conversations like with work at that stage of, OK, I'm now about to play semi-professional football? Yeah, so I actually um, brought one of my closest um, friends and mentors, who's a doctor, who was sort of my boss, one of my bosses at the time. I actually brought her to the draft with me, which was a bit of a, almost like adoptive mum kind of figure for me down in, in Victoria. and. So I brought Kelly along and she sat next to me and was there when I got drafted and felt the emotion with me, which is something that to this day is probably one of the most amazing experiences and, and so so glad that she could should share that experience with me. Um, so she knew how much of a big deal it was and I was thankful for her support because she was a big advocate for me being able to um, continue that balance. And then obviously um, at work I had... I guess, develop my reputation and, and being renowned for a hard worker and, and being a, a good doctor and being able to still continue that balance over the previous couple of years working for Monash Health. And so I was just thankful that I just open and honestly asked whether or not they would support me in being able to achieve that balance. And amazingly, they said yes. And that was probably the biggest relief I felt um, up until that point was just knowing that I had their support um, and then it became easy. I was able to fight, figure out the balance around my, my shifts and, and yeah, was thankful that it, it really did work um, really well for those couple of years at, at Western Bulldogs. 
can you give us an insight into a typical week of the hours that you'd be doing at work, plus maybe your additional study in there, plus your training, plus your playing, plus any leave that you would actually have to take as well? Oh, gosh. It, uh, it's a bit of a blur now, but um, mainly Monday, go to work. Um, I had to drive over nearly an hour to, of traffic down to Monash Health. I was living in Montmorency, obviously closer to Diamond Creek at the time. So stop start traffic all the way down to Monash, um, work from 8 to 4.30 and then de- desperately dash to the car and try and beat the traffic um, going to Whit- Witten Oval um, and then eating in the car, trying to get to training, uh, then you know, leaving training at often 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, driving back to Montmorency. Uh, at the time, that first season, we only had one training kit, so you'd have to then put your washing on because you only had one training kit and you had to go back to training the next day. Um, so that sort of continued for the five days of the, of the working week and then training early Saturday morning in the heat of, of summer uh, and then generally either a shift on Sunday or back to work on Monday so not much time in between uh, work, training, and obviously then games once the, the season came around. And I had to use a lot of my leave for um, for the actual competition so that I could go and travel away for the for the away games. Um, but to be honest, you know, it was hard, but I wouldn't have had my life any differently. And I guess really proud of being that initial trailblazer and being able to make it achievable. Um, and then having the lessons out of it in how to be as efficient as possible and being as organised as possible so that it could work. You mentioned training kit in there. It's something that seems so minor, so simple, but that one training kit, and obviously the AFL trying to save a few (laughs) dollars, means a lot in the domino effect on your life and your day. Yeah, I still remember (laughs) standing there at the washing machine at 11.30 at night, like nodding off, trying to, hope that the washing finished shortly so that I could hang it out so it's dry by the morning so that I could put it back in the training kit before heading to work in the morning. Um, Food was the other issue that obviously we probably didn't predict being such a bad, uh, such a challenge in that first year of AFLW was having time to prepare and then eat nutritious food to fuel fuel yourself as an elite athlete. And um, obviously then we were were lucky that the AFL Players Association supported us getting some form of food um, provided from uh, for us by the clubs and that helped in future years but that first year uh, it was just a lot of late nights and lack of sleep and it was a bit of a blur but um, obviously we all came through it and are better for the experiences. We talk about how players are trying to balance their life with work, study and football. Unfortunately for some, they are not returning to AFLW in 2021 as they cannot do that balance. You're one of those that have retired because uh, the balance is getting difficult. I want to throw a hypothetical at you because we've seen cricket, at least for some of the top-tier elite women's cricketers, now go full-time. We now in women's soccer, they're going full-time and uh, they're chasing big dollars now going to Europe as well as the NWSL. If the AFL had gone down a path of not expanding the 14 clubs, let's say they were staying at eight clubs or even a contracted six, and and it said, okay, we're going to go full time, and and let's and let's be honest, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Let's say they were doing a basic wage, let's say sixty thousand dollars a year. If that had been put to you, that okay, you can play women's football full time, but it's not going to be much. It's probably going to be about sixty k a year. Where would that have sat? in your life? Would you have said, yes, I'm going to commit to this for a f- few years? 
or would have actually been the other way of, well, look, I earn more money in and it's probably just better for me just to stay in medicine? I think if they had gone uh, full-time initially or early early on, I would have stepped away from medicine. Um, I was lucky enough that I had support from my um, my senior consultants at Monash Health, and I still remember one of the senior consultants saying to me, you need to go and do this. Medicine will always be there for you. You need to pursue this to the best of your ability. Uh, and so, I, you know, I did that as much as I could for, for four seasons within AFLW and um I think, yeah, if, if it was full-time, I, w- I would have definitely taken some time out of medicine. But the issue with being at part-time was that if I, you know, tried to sort of quit medicine and just, you know, work, I guess, part-time within the AFRW, what on earth was I going to do for the final, you know, the remaining six to seven months of the year in terms of my um, my medical career? And that was just going to make it really disjointed. So that's why I decided to try and balance both both because um, obviously the commitment of AFLW was not for the rest of the year. So, yeah, look, it made things harder, obviously, with the balance and obviously one of the reasons why I've um, made the decision to hang up the boots because I really pride myself on my ability to to give everything I could to both footy and, and medicine and recognise that I couldn't do that to 100% anymore moving forward. So we build up to the first AFLW season. You've gone through your pre-season with the Western Bulldogs and I've asked this question particularly to Nicole Callanan who would have been in the same position of you with the Western Bulldogs and a bit similar to Courtney Cramey and uh, Talia Radden when they were playing at uh, the Adelaide Crows as they were sitting back as well. I'm imagining, A, first of all, you're just a, a bunch of nerves heading up to that first weekend of, okay, we're ready to go. How much the nerves go through the ceiling once you sit down on that Friday night watching TV and Oh my God, Carlton Collingwood, twenty five thousand, and they've locked the gates. I actually went to that game. It was a hard decision about do we um, do we try and just sit at home and have a bit of a quiet night before our first game on Saturday night, or do we actually go to the game, which was actually well went down in history. And I'm very glad that I went. I packed myself a really nutritious and high-carb and protein meal of risotto to eat in the stands because of the timing of, of when the game was and went really early with Laura's family because she was playing at the time. And um, I'm so glad that I was able to experience that. And I can still feel the goosebumps and goosebumps and the just the atmosphere around around everyone. And there was definitely more than 25,000 people in that Stadium from my my point of view, um, because everyone was just crammed in like sardines to be there and witness the first ever uh, first ever game, and I'm very glad that I got to experience that. It was a bit hard to go to bed that that night, um, but then I was able to sort of switch really easily um, into game mode and, and prepare for ourselves for our first ever game and the first ever our win in the um, red, white, and blue for the Western Bulldogs the next day. And I can tell you there was at least three or 4,000 people outside the ground as well because I was one of those locked out. I couldn't get into the ground. <laughs> yeah, unlucky. Um, let's yep. talk about Witten Oval. That, again, would also be a lockout. There'd be 10,000 people showing up for that. No doubt you're in the rooms, you're warming up, you're focused on the game. You run through the race. When does it hit you for that moment of, oh, my God, I'm out here, this is happening? I think it was when we were standing in the race and Katie was addressing us before we were about to run out and you could hear the roar of the crowd and that's when we knew that, gosh, there's a lot of people here as well. 
Um, and I'd done a lot of psychology, so sports psychology in the lead up to obviously AFLW and um, in that trying to make sure that you sort of focus as much as possible uh, into the lead up to the game so that you could then actually compete as, as best you can. And um, part of that was I didn't actually look at the crowd very much. I heard the crowd. I didn't want to focus too much about specifics within the crowd. I just remember there was just a sea of people around me. Um, but I didn't look after, look at the crowd until really after the game. So in those first moments when we ran out, I just remember hearing the roar and knew that there were a lot of people there. And then it, I really sort of was able to soak it in after we won. That, that's very interesting, trying to, to block out the crowd, because I've heard different philosophies. I've heard some of go out there, embrace it, just let the nerves hit you, and then get involved in a contest early, just so therefore you get tackled, you get hit or something like that, so it snaps you into it. Yeah, um, for me, I didn't want to get distracted from what I was going to achieve, and um, I was lucky enough that I got a, a pretty early um, tap, and I got a nice rundown tackle, Um uh, as well, and I remember hearing the roar down, tack, uh, roar, roar of the crowd when I achieved that rundown tackle, and that sort of was the thing that got me in the game, and and was lucky enough I yeah had a really good performance that day, and just ran on the adrenaline of the experience, and and then afterwards then sort of just looked around and just saw how many people were there and the carnival atmosphere that the Western Bulldogs had created, and thought wow like this was just absolutely amazing, and look what we've just done. You technically play under two captains at the Western Bulldogs. For about half the time, Katie Brennan is captain, but as we know, she had uh, injuries interrupt uh, the 2017 and 2018 seasons. Most of 2017 would be captained by Ali Blackburn, and most famously, she would captain you in the grand final. Can you talk about the differing styles in, in leadership from both Katie Brennan and Ali Blackburn? Yeah, look, I think they were, they were really lucky to obviously have both both those girls um, at the at the Western Bulldogs. Katie um, led from the front in terms of her discipline and professionalism for preparation in the game, and and was such a fierce competitor that whenever she you know went sailing, you know r- rising above the pack to take those marks, you just sort of all felt everyone lift with her. Um, Ellie was a bit more of a relaxed character and definitely developed into her leadership style. Um, but was just equally as effective, um, had a much more personal relationship, um, particularly in those, that 2018 and then 2019 um, sort of campaign was really trying to do, I guess, make sure that we, she had relationships with every player and was very good at getting around every one of the girls in, in different ways. Um, but obviously, again, on the field, she just worked and worked and worked, and if she was still running, then you knew that you just had to keep running. So... Um, yeah, differing styles, but both equally as effective. And, and in the time that they had to obviously share their captaincy, um, they were able to actually do that effectively without there being any sort of you know challenges or miscommunications, which was fantastic. The hardest thing someone can do is to admit they're wrong, particularly when they're in a leadership role. And I want to talk about Paul Groves because it was a critical point when he admit he was wrong and it was leading into 2018, which would end up being a great season. Reflecting back on 2017, he admitted that he got it wrong by trying to overcomplicate things with training. That's what he said at the time. And he said he went for a more simplistic model in 2018. Of course, that would go on to famously win the flag for the Western Bulldogs. Can you talk about what was trying to be taught to you as a group in 2017 and how that changed for 2018? Yeah, I think I think um, I think we all learnt a lot in that first season. Obviously, you know, Grozy being a first-time coach of an AFLW team, 
he'd obviously had experience within women's football previously, but also us as players and I guess expectations from him for us as a coach, but also expectations of us as players also trying to balance the rest of our lives with him and what feedback and information we needed. And I think, I think he was right in saying that things, um, things were just a little bit more complex in, in the type of game plan that he had, had sort of envisaged as well as the type of training that we were doing. And, and, you know, I, I have so much respect for him in able to admitting, admitting that he potentially could have done things differently. And he was so vulnerable and so honest with us after that first season um, that I think we all realised how much he was just trying to do the right thing. But obviously the experience, you know, taught him that potentially things needed to be a little bit different. And, you know, being able to see him be vulnerable and being so raw and honest with us allowed us to recognise, well, you know, we can rebuild and we can we can do better. And that obviously was the start of our successful campaign in 2018. A critical thing as well for a lot of women's footballers was 2017 post-AFLW, playing in their respective state leagues and being given time off to recuperate. Because as we mentioned about earlier, 2015 going through that whole summer academy, then into the exhibition games 2016, their first hard ever AFLW preseason in 2017, then doing the 2017 season. For some women, they've been going non-stop for about three years. Can you talk about how the rotation policy happened at Diamond Creek, which would serve you well, which would get you into uh, the, the final four, and I think finish minor premiers, if I'm correct, for the year, while at the same time the opposite was happening at some other clubs. For example, Melbourne University, who had got out of the blocks early, ended up faltering in the second half of the season as players weren't rotated out, and you could see they were cooked. At the same time, Darabin came into the finals and was stumbling, as you could see their better players who'd played the most exhibition and AFLW games, you could see it start to wear on them. Yeah, it was an interesting year, obviously, then not really having much of a break. And we all, I think, and every, every player, I think, probably can um, attest to this, that we all, most of us developed post-AFLW blues, which was you sort of come down from the whole hype of AFLW and then you sort of go back to club level. Uh, and it was great to be at that club level, but we sort of then have to then obviously then contribute to the the club success. And and I was lucky enough that I was I didn't have to play as much in in 2017. I still definitely did play, but was able to rest. But some other clubs had different sort of approaches, and and so I know Ellie Blackburn and some of the Melbourne girls, Emma Carney as well. They were pretty cooked leading into 2018 because they did play majority of the season. So I think that was probably the first. Well, it was definitely was the first opportunity where we recognised, I guess, what is the right balance for players outside of ASRW, and recognising that with everything else that we have to balance, the impact that the training load and the games did actually have on our bodies, and probably the first real time that we were able to monitor and see the influence of those huge loads we're having on us physically and emotionally and mentally as well. And obviously a learning experience for all, um, but it obviously had differing um, differing sort of results for each of the clubs and, and clubs obviously then learned a lot more out of, out of the experiences that the players were having. Was there also a physical toll on players as well um, or a mental toll on just having to, to work different positions Changing back and forth between the AFLW and VFLW seasons, we know that when VFLW restarts again, it is going to copy the AFLW format. It will now go to 16 aside. But for the last few years, you're flipping back and forth between your seasons as 16 aside, 18 aside, 16 aside, back and forth. 
yeah, that was um that was interesting, and uh, I, I guess it created a little bit of confusion, and um, people could see the benefit of eighteen aside versus sixteen aside. Um, obviously, with the hype of AFL women's and the success that came with that first season, that a lot of probably the AFL didn't actually predict. Um, the rest of the Victorian and of the state community um, clubs were then trying to catch up with what was the best way to train players now that they've been in that AFLW system and, and seeing the successes of the teams that were um, were able to you know win during AFLW, should we sort of try and copy that type of training or game for for Victorian or the state for state team, but then you're only playing you're already you know you're playing eighteen aside. So yeah, it was a bit it was a bit challenging to juggle the different formats. Um and I think then obviously over the last couple of years the uh, Victorian AFL um yeah competition has obviously recognised that we probably need to streamline things just so things are a bit easier and and hopefully we'll see things a little bit easier moving forward for players that do then actually cross between the two different competitions. So, 2018, a couple of wins early. Things are rolling along. It's an up-and-down season for a lot of teams. It's a very close. I think five teams were in contention to try and make the final two spots to play in the uh, grand final for that year. If I recall correctly, I think the Bulldogs had dropped the game, I think, in the second-last round to GWS. And that set up what was essentially a semi-final without being a semi-final. That last game of the year, in very windy conditions, a night game, against a club that you represented in exhibition games in Melbourne. What's the feeling like going into this game that's essentially an elimination match, the final round of the year, and you've got to win to make sure that you're in? Yeah, it was it was almost like a grand final, to be honest. Um, everyone was so pumped up, and it was just blowing a gale. That was probably the main thing that I can remember from the game. It was so, so, so windy, and we just had to sort of rise to the occasion. But the girls were so focused, we'd so worked and built such good teamwork connections in the league and in the game, uh, sorry, in the competition leading up to that point, and uh, overcome so many adversities up until then as well, with lots of injuries along the way that we just all, yeah, banded together, and it was a huge team win. Like everyone contributed on the day, and we got a bit lucky, but then obviously Brookie Lawson um, kicking that goal within seconds of the game actually finishing was just something that was just oh, a huge relief. But then to be able to then combat the the onslaught of, of Melbourne as they tried to desperately get another goal was um was something that yeah those first cup those last couple of minutes just seemed to take forever and just an amazing experience and feeling when we were able to then obviously just wrap our hand, wrap our arms around each other and, and embrace on watch was an incredible match and and obviously what led us to the to the grand final so yeah just one of the games that I'll never forget. So the grand final to be held at Princess Park in Carlton, taking on the Brisbane Lions. Um, an unusual build-up to it as you had to wait for other games to play out before you finally knew who you were playing against. Um, there was debate on what venue is going to be chosen. On the day, rain buckets down so much that um, the entertainment, Missy Higgins, had to be cancelled. So there was no uh, <laughs> uh, pre-game entertainment. So that's thrown things out of whack. What's the feeling like building up for a grand final? You've done it a number of times before at Diamond Creek. Now you're doing it at the AFLW level. Yeah, it was uh, it was really exciting. Obviously, there was a lot of uh, stuff in the media leading into that week, obviously with Katie Brennan's uh, suspension and, and what that meant for how we went about things as a team. But um, it was a, it was just a really calm build-up in that training um, 
in the training sort of in the lead up to that game. There was obviously a bit of media and, and community sport at some of our trainings, but we sort of just tried to band together and, and just quietly go about our preparation. Obviously, bucketing down with rain at a game it was the first time that we were actually going to be playing that season in rain. And so I guess everyone was a little bit nervous about how that meant we could actually perform on the day. Um, but yeah, we just kept our heads down and really believed in each other and had that team love that meant that we just were able to all do everything we could for each other out on the field and that's what really at the end of the day beat us. We, you know, skill-wise in the rain, was we're not the better team but from a teamwork perspective and team love, we that's what really won us um, the, the game on the day. You recall the final few seconds of the game because I know Brisbane were pushing and it looked like yeah. <laughs> they were going to take a mark and have a possible shot on goal. That game went down to the final seconds, almost a carbon copy of what happened 12 months earlier. Yeah, I had to remember that. Um, I think I was playing on uh, Frederick Traub at the time and had a little um, yeah, sparky in the background, uh, back, uh, in the back, and I think early had also pushed back in. I just remember they were pushing and they were about to have an inside 50 kick. And, and yeah, it was amazing just to try and hold out. And I remember when uh, that, that, that ball got marked just before the, the siren went and just embracing Ellie and Sparky and, yeah, couldn't believe that we'd actually gotten there. With You know, they would have won if they kicked that goal. So um, it just, yeah. It was just a surreal moment and, and something that will... There's some amazing photos from those couple of seconds after the siren um, sounding that I will always remember and I've got one up on my wall, actually, of, of those photos. What's the immediate feeling? Is it overwhelming joy? Is it relief? Is it shock? What is it? I think it's relief first. I just was screaming at Ellie. Um, and, yeah, just we like we did it. like And we deserved it for everything that we had to come through that season with all the adversity, all the injuries. that, And it just showed that the simple game plan, the team love and the, the, you know, the teamwork connection that we developed actually was successful. And even if it was in a, an environment of rain and slippery conditions that we'd never played before, we can actually still prevail on the day. Um, and then there was obviously lots of happy tears and then just ability to celebrate and rejoice in, in our successes and, opportunity to sort of walk around with the team and, and, and celebrate with the crowd um, is something that I just will never forget and and really tried to take a moment to take it all in and, and look around and, and, and see all the people that were there and, and just the happiness and, and, and yeah, pure joy from everyone that was involved. I'd like your thoughts on, on two women behind the scenes at the Western Bulldogs who not only would have had an influence at that club but had a huge influence on women's football across the country. And one of them you actually knew previously when she was at, at Melbourne as well. That being Debbie Lee, because she came across to be uh, the GM of women's football in 2018 with the Western Bulldogs. And as we know, as a former vice president and, of course, patron of the old VWFL, Susan Alberti. Yeah, look, two such uh, admirable and influential women, not only within women's football but also Western Bulldogs and so amazing that they were both able to be there and part of the experience and I just remember turning around there we we're celebrating right there at the end and all of a sudden Sue Alberti's there standing next to us giving us hugs on the field so I'm not sure how she got onto the field but I'd, I'd let her on the field if she wanted to as well so um, yeah just amazing that we, we were able to give them some recognition for obviously being able to achieve that and that they were able to be part of that special win for the Western Bulldogs 
um, and both of them obviously there um, in the celebrations that that um, proceeded um, following the following the game and and it was yeah it was just they they're part of the family as well. Um, Sue you know was there at the first game on Witten Oval as well. Um, sat on the sat on the benches as well, and and that was just part of what it was like at the Western Bulldogs. It was part of a, a big family and community, and and it was a, a testament to the the community feel that the Western Bulldogs had, but also the contribution that both Debbie Lee and, and Sue had with the club. Also, your thoughts on two players you would have been feeding the ball a lot to. First of all, the grand final best on ground, Monique Conti. Yeah, oh, just a absolute natural gifted player, such a pint-sized little pocket rocket, but so uh, effective and um, so influential by foot and by, by handball as well. Um, bit of a quiet start of the start of the game, but then able was then one was actually able to come out and, and make such a, a big influence. And I think the wet conditions probably suited her best out of all of our players and her ability to be agile in those conditions was something that we obviously really needed and and what she was able to actually be recognised for with her Best on Ground um, award. And also the league best and fairest for that year, Emma Carney. Two questions on her. One, um, is she possibly the most underrated footballer going around with only one competition best and fairest considering the years that she'd dominate in the VWFL, just by luck, there was just this woman called Daisy Pierce that happened to be running around as well. And second of all, has your vocabulary increased with some interesting words after being up close to Emma Carney, knowing knowing the (laughs) decent sprays that she can give opponents? Yeah, she definitely has the gift of the gab and I definitely wouldn't be that quick on the field in terms of some of the comebacks that she has to different players. Um, Learned a lot from her and just one of the hardest workers in the competition. Um, and goes about things pretty quietly off the field in terms of training, um, knows what she wants on the field and and huge amount of respect for the way that she goes about her footy, obviously at the Bulldogs with us and then obviously at North Melbourne, captaining them and leading them on to some significant success in the in the following season. So um, agree, underrated, um, deserves as much recognition as, as she's able to, and, you know, she needs more recognition for what she's actually achieved um, and no doubt will be a continuing uh, successful player for many years to come within the competition. 2019 um, comes around. Um, how hard is it coming into a season off the back of a premiership? It's easy to be the hunter when you know the team that you're chasing and the level that you've got to get to. How's it being the team that, A, you've got to set the bar and, B, at the same time, you've also lost some players because expansion has begun? Yeah, obviously different feel in 2019 with the loss of some pretty um, important players. Um, but yeah, it was it was a bit uncertain initially in those initial periods of the preseason about how how we actually going to keep up the success that we had the following year, uh, the, the previous year. Um, we went, tried to go about footy very similarly in the in the way that was successful the previous year. Um, obviously, still had some challenges with injuries along the way as well. Um, and obviously everyone was sort of, all the other teams were sort of um, quickly recognising what was a successful brand of footy within the AFLW and started to sort of um, combat our type of game plan, um, which obviously meant that the competition was improving, which was fantastic, and, and we also needed to improve as, as players and as a team. So, um, yeah, it was it was initially sort of, we sort of just kept tried to keep pretty focused um, 
obviously didn't want to try and put too much pressure on ourselves um, and unfortunately didn't get the successes that we, we wanted that we had had the previous year. Throughout this time, in the three years you're at the Bulldogs, your profile and responsibilities as well are starting to increase outside of football. I want to talk about um, two things. Um, first of all, the experience of being in the AFL Players Association, being on their women's committee. Yeah, so that was something I'm very passionate about um, still to this day and um, still proud of my involvement in influencing some um, pretty key decisions regarding, uh, I guess, advocating for better conditions within the contract um, or contracts that the AFL players were going to be signing um, and something, no doubt, that I will continue to have involvement on now that I've retired and hopefully have a bit more time to invest in. Um, I think the players' association hold a huge uh, role in advocating for the players and in those first couple of years really needed to understand, get a good understanding about what the girls are actually having to balance and I was able to contribute and enlighten them regarding some of the challenges that we were facing and then influence some um, key things that obviously have now been provided for players. Um, so yeah, so obviously the competition continues to change and so the AFL as well as the AFL Players Association have to adapt to those changes and um, I'm looking forward to continuing to contribute in the off-field sense to make sure that the players are advocated for as best as possible in the seasons to come. And also, you hit the speaking circuit, and if I recall correctly, I think it might have been 2017 was the year that you gave a speech at Trades Hall. Yeah, I did, actually. Um, obviously, starting to get a little bit more media experience, obviously, <laughs> my debut with you guys initially, um, and then just being much more passionate about um, the balance and, and the trailblazers that, uh, I guess, the inaugural first couple of season players had become within within the Australian community and in recognised that I had a pretty unique experience that was important to share and was able to then actually um, get some opportunities to talk about my experiences individually but also being part of a pretty amazing time of women's football history in those first couple of seasons and um, yeah, lucky enough for those experiences have led me to having some fantastic contacts within uh, unions and, and some key sort of women's equality advocates around Australia and something that I'd like to continue in, in future years as well, being able to continue speaking about my journey and, and other players' journeys and, and some of the challenges that we still need to face um, and sort of overcome in terms of gender equality within sports. Parlaying all that together with the AFLPA and speaking at Trades Hall, do you see potentially in the future advocacy, even politics might be on your agenda? Oh gosh, politics, don't know about that one, but I definitely advocacy for women's sport um, is and just gender equality in general. Um, some amazing contacts that I, I, I obtained out of obviously the Players Association, Libby Lyons and Prue Gilbert, both um, such influential members within the gender equality sort of um, arena within the workplace of Australia and, and no doubt I think I will still continue to um, have them as contacts and, and try and also be an influential member of the community as well. Um, within medicine itself, um, we know that there are still issues with gender equality and uh, it's something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, 
So we'll, we'll see what holds for me in the next couple of years in regards to that and hopefully a bit more time to focus on that. If you've just joined us, you're listening to our interview with the recently retired AFLW footballer, Dr. Tiana Ernst. We've just covered her Western Bulldogs years. When we return after the break, it's a move north to Queensland. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football in Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. I'm currently speaking with Dr. Tiana Ernst, recently retired AFLW footballer who'd played 29 games across four seasons, three with the Western Bulldogs, and we're about to discuss now her move to play her last season with the Gold Coast Suns. At the end of the 2019 season, you get ready to prepare to make a move to Queensland for some uh, opportunities up there in Brisbane uh, to continue your medical career. Um, A, how tough is that to to move up there for career, for playing? You even had purchased a home in Victoria as well. It seemed like your, your roots had all been settled here. How tough was that decision to A, move up there and B, then begin the process of, okay, are the dogs going to trade with the Lions or the Suns? Yeah, it was a really emotional uh, and tough decision about what the right thing to do was. Obviously, with AFLW still being at that stage a, a, a part-time profession and, and sort of no real looks that it was going to be full-time in the, in the, in the near future, I recognised I still had to try and continue my the progression in my medical career. Um, and with that came changing states and changing hospitals for different experiences um, and the opportunity that came up in Queensland was something that was was a very competitive and, and unique opportunity that I'm very glad that I've, I've actually achieved now. Um, but it meant that I obviously had to then make the hard decision to leave the Bulldogs. I remember sitting there in my exit interview crying at Grovesy and Debbie Lee about not wanting to leave and I wish I could just fly back every weekend to play with the Western Bulldogs for um, obviously the pre-season and then leading into 2020 season. But we all recognised that unfortunately that wasn't going to be the best for both the club but also for me individually and I'd stretch myself too thin if I try to do something crazy like that flying back every weekend and um, and then we went about sort of exploring opportunities to join one of the clubs in, in, in Queensland and we're thankful that the Gold Coast Suns as a start-up club were looking for experience and leadership and then it was the best fit in terms of um, what I was hoping to achieve but all so what they were looking for and and yeah obviously joined them in the inaugural in their inaugural season for 2020 and and was so thankful for the experiences and and the opportunities that they provided me there in the last 12 months 
least we forget the sacrifice that also your wife Laura had to make as well no doubt with her own career here in Victoria having to uh, move up with you to Queensland as well which would uh, also affect her playing career and, and the opportunities that she might have yeah so big decision for her obviously to uproot with me and something that she was very supportive of and, and was looking forward to a venture within a within the Sunshine State and to be honest I think I um, might have lost her to Victoria and now I don't think she wants to go back she loves it up here too much um, and yes obviously the challenges that came with her um, her football and her um, career but it's also meant that new opportunities have developed for her up here as well which she has explored and, and been a, a leader and a role model within the Bond University um, uh, football club here within the Quaffle season um, and has now actually just had a scholarship um, awarded, been awarded a scholarship to study physio at Bond University and has commenced those studies and is absolutely smashing the studies and getting great grades so amazing you know with challenging decisions and and pretty uncertain life decisions comes amazing opportunities and experiences so obviously worked out for both of us your move to the gold coast suns also worked out very nicely for the western bulldogs uh by you moving to the gold coast suns by default it forced um, a trade deal between the Western Bulldogs and Richmond for Monique Conti because you were the fourth and final player that could be poached from the Bulldogs in the year without compensation. And by that move, with Monique Conti going to Richmond, Richmond had to give up pick one to the Western Bulldogs. Yeah, it was funny how that came about. And I'm glad that the Western Bulldogs... um got that benefit out of my trade and, and I was looking to make sure that they didn't lose out by me having to to move um, onto a different team. Um, I always envisaged myself being a one-club player and, and still the Western Bulldogs I hold so close to my heart and, and in the men's AFL competition is the team that I, to this day, still support because of the the relationships and the connections that I built within that club. So um, it, it was just really good to see that they didn't lose out. Obviously, they lost a couple of players um, for the 2020 season and I'm just glad that they were able to get some great talent out of that trade period um, and it meant that they still could um, go on to be successful this season. So for the Gold Coast Suns, it's their first year in the competition. They're under David Lake. Now, this is very different to the Western Bulldogs' first year in the competition, only because obviously there were seven other clubs with them at the time. But as we talked about earlier, Paul Groves, first time coaching at the national level in AFLW and having to realise and adjust the game plan by 2018. What's it like being under David Lake, who had been an assistant coach under Craig Starsevich? So as much as he's starting up a new club... He's had experience in the system and benefit from seeing three previous years of AFLW. Yeah, Lakey was a, a fantastic coach, completely different sort of style to Grosey, um, but also equally as effective. Um, really enjoyed getting to know um, how he sort of, what he ticked and what sort of he was thinking and definitely built a really strong relationship that I respected in terms of him, you know, coming to me in terms of ideas and he really respected sort of my contributions and sort of helping lead the girls. Um, and he just demonstrated that he was able to be effective in, in implementing a game plan but also getting the girls on board in terms of uh, the work ethic and the, and the intensity that we brought to the games and that definitely showed in our success for our inaugural season. With the Gold Coast Suns, you achieve a first at AFLW level. You kick a goal. 
Can you talk about that <laughs> yeah. moment against the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos at Arden Street Oval where you got on the scoreboard? Yeah, that was awesome. I um, didn't expect it, but I'm glad that I was able to get that experience. Um, change of position, going to the Gold Coast Suns, Lakey recognised my athletic athleticism and my my endurance and my ability to sort of run all day. And so obviously was pretty keen and, and liked to think a, bit, a little bit differently and was keen to sort of try me in a couple of different positions and in trainings recognised that I'd be a pretty good winger. Uh, so that was obviously a different experience for me again, given that I'd played ruck and, and sent a half, um, sent half back at the Western Bulldogs. And I sort of embraced that opportunity to be a little bit more up the ground and a whole lot more running. And, um, yeah, out of that came an opportunity to kick a goal. Should have probably kicked a couple more goals, particularly within the, uh, West Coast game a couple of, um, couple of rounds later. But, um, yeah, still was developing sort of the knack of being a, a winger and, a bit disappointed that I can't continue um, that development for 2021, um, but recognise that it was an opportunity that you know I need to give someone else an opportunity to have that experience, and just so glad that I was able to finally get on the board um, before I hung up the boots. And being against North and being against a former teammate in Emma Carney, she didn't swing by, did she, and give you a bit of lip of, hey, what are you doing up the ground? Yeah, yeah, no, she did actually. Um, yeah, she she did sort of. Um, I remember her running past at some stage going back to a centre bounce and she says, what are you doing on the wing? And um, yeah, look, that was a great game and we sort of probably really damped our mark in terms of being a dominant um, contender within the competition given our intensity and coming up against the team that was considered probably the best in the competition at the time and just sort of faded there at the end and otherwise I think we would have um, maybe potentially had a big upset of the of the competition um, if we won that day. <laughs> If the season had played out as normal, um, and let's just say the Gold Coast Suns would have just finished shy of the top three in your conference, I think many would have said, yeah, good first year, first time around, building a side for the future, all things positive. As we know, COVID-19 came along, it stopped the season short, and we had to jump immediately into finals. And by luck, you're the first ever Gold Coast side to make finals. The men haven't, the women have, which is fantastic. Unfortunately, it would be a one-sided affair. Fremantle would win. But can you talk about that hectic 24, 48 hours of, okay, the season's now flipped on its head. We're going to play finals. By the way, get on a plane now. Yeah, that was pretty hectic. And I was um, up late quite a number of nights that week um, on in sort of uh, teleconferences with the Players Association and the other player delegates around the clubs trying to figure out what we would want as players in terms of figuring out if we could try and get the final series out um, before lockdown happened. Um, and unfortunately, it wasn't to be in terms of actually then being able to get a winner of the competition. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a bit strange and, and surreal. And um, it, it was hard to sort of obviously then prepare for flying back to flying back to Perth. We'd literally just come back from Perth after beating West Coast. Um, but it also a pretty incredible experience that we were then able to be thrown onto a Virgin Australia flight that had no one else in the actual um, aeroplane and it was just us and the air hostess. And then we obviously got to stretch out and, and have the whole cockpit to us, um, the whole um, plane to ourselves and then obviously fly back. So we definitely weren't crammed up um, on that flight back over to the Perth, but obviously then, you know, new, uh, Fremantle were just far too good on the day and a, and a dominant contender and, um, a great experience for the girls in terms of what will take, what it will take 
in future years to be able to come up against the best and, and potentially be successful come the seriousness of, of finals. Let's talk about the decision to retire. Um, for some, they made it perhaps a little bit earlier. It was um, a few weeks after the season where most of them had probably known that 2020 was going to be their last season and were probably just toying up in their heads of should they run round for one more or not. Um, for you, your decision came later. It came just before the uh, AFLW draft when uh, sides had to close off their lists and make sure they knew where they were in their draft order. What was it like with the clock ticking of, I, I guess, Gold Coast wanting to know, OK, are you in or are you out for 2021? Yeah, um, I was thankful enough that both Fiona McClarty and David Lake were were so supportive in in understanding the challenges that I had with my balance between work and footy and obviously around trade period when we had to re-sign, I talked about some of the challenges and my intention would be to play and that I would do everything possible to try and um, be prepared for the season. Um, but then the challenges that came with the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact that that had on my work um, schedule and rostering and um, obviously, the uncertainties around what the competition would actually look like for 2021 meant that it was it became increasingly apparent as we got closer to the draft that it was going to be impossible for me to be able to give absolutely 100% um, in whatever format the the competition or the training period would would commence in. And that was when I obviously had to make the difficult decision in my in my heart. I knew it was the right decision in my head. It told me. Um, I sort of the athlete me wanted to keep going and, and just to try and keep the balance up. Um, so I obviously knew that I had to talk to them about it um, before the, the draft. They had indication earlier on of the challenges that I had, but wanted to give me time to be able to figure out whether or not I could achieve the balance. And they fully respected whatever decision I made and were incredible, incredibly understanding when I did have to make the difficult decision and have been such amazing support since then and, and still really keen to have me involved in the club in an off-field sense and off-field sense and that's what I will intend to still be able to do um, without obviously the added pressure of physically having my body in absolutely 100% condition which is something that I recognise with my balance I was not able to continue doing and obviously the reason why I had to make the decision about ending my playing career. Has the COVID-19 situation made it harder, and I guess this applies to some women as well who retired during the winter, that you weren't able to have that moment of, particularly if you know that, say, for example, a club's not going to make finals, that round seven, round eight, whatever it may be, was going to be the last game of the year, that you didn't have that moment to stand up in front of your teammates at training and say, look, this is it, this is going to be the final run round and the moment where you get chaired off or at least get to lead the team off the ground at the end of the day to say, thank you, I'm done. Yeah, I look, I, you know, I, I knew I was coming close to the end of my playing career, you know, towards the end of the season in terms of probably only had one more season than me. Um, at no stage did I have intentions at the end of the 2020 season to retire. Um, I had planned to go around again and, and make it five seasons, but um, it was more the fact that once the COVID-19 pandemic hit, my work schedule went pretty crazy and I didn't get a break then leading up to sort of the draft and the increasing demands on me as a, as a medical professional increased, it obviously made a significant impact on my ability to 
prepare and train as best I could in the lead up to the pre-season. And with not enough hours in the day and everything else I was having to balance, I recognised I was not able to give 100% to preparing myself both physically and mentally. And so that's why I had to make the hard decision. I was sort of always intending to go around one more year and that was probably going to be it. Um, And then I would have, I just realised I would feel too guilty if I tried to keep playing and um, knowing how hard it would have been in the next season and not be able to give 100%, which is something I've been thankful enough to demonstrate for, I guess, the last six six years of my, I guess, elite career. Um, and I would be doing myself, my the players in the club at a service if I tried to train and, and play but not be able to give 100%. So that's why I thought it was important to give another young girl an opportunity that probably had a bit more time on their hands and then obviously still be able to contribute off-field um, to the development of the club. Again, it just seems so, um, I don't know the right word to say it, um, it's surprising that when we do hear someone like yourself retiring, when it's like, geez, she's only 32 when we look at that, <laughs> so, so young. But then we, we remember that, sure, male footballers go on to 36, 37, 38, whatever it might be, but on the women's side of the scale, and while we've seen some retire even younger in their early 20s, of a career coming into it and wanting to focus on that because football for you is only part-time and then of course the obvious thing it's difference between men and women for those that do want to actually start a family yeah and that's something that obviously females are pretty unique and obviously having to balance as well uh and something that's definitely on i guess my mind in the next couple of years because obviously if you leave it too late as well it gets even harder to potentially develop it uh, to, to create a family and and that will be the challenge for multiple women's sports I think and, and something that I'm pretty passionate about supporting and, and um, supporting elite athletes in the future in an area of interest that I have within my own medical career is, is supporting those elite athletes because girls will want to go on to compete and train and, and be at that elite level for in, into their 30s and how's that actually going to impact upon their fertility um, so, you know, individually I'm in a similar position to many other uh, elite athletes and I'm, yeah, I'm just keen to make sure that it's not a challenging, not as of a challenging decision or, or process for other athletes in the, in the next couple of years when I support them. Although someone like Daisy Pierce running around after having uh, twins is probably going, what challenge? Walk in the park. Oh, I know that she's just had it. It's been pretty challenging for her, and I take my hat off to her, to her about what she's been able to achieve. Um, and I look, I hope that many other girls can do uh, follow in her footsteps and be able to achieve that as well. Um, the challenges that come with being, a, I guess, a, a semi-professional, well, a professional but part-time athlete in the AFLW setting um, means that from a, I guess, remuneration and financial point of view, kids cost money and, and that needs to be taken into considered whenever um, someone might be wanting to have a family as well. So I think we'll see the competition and, and the, I guess, the, the environment of women's, of women's sport in general in Australia will start to change and shift over the next, next decade as, as players have to try and balance being mothers and, and, and building families on top of their professional uh, elite uh, athletic commitments. And it will be um, part of my role, I think, in my professional career to help support them as much as possible um, moving forward and something I'm really excited about. One minor thing that 
possibly the AFLPA might be looking at that's different between men and women um, is obviously the men on AFL Grand Final Day have the opportunity for the retirees to do the lap of honour around the ground. Do you think because, again, we've had that COVID stop and there were so many players retired from the game this year that didn't get their proper send-off, do you think it's time that possibly in 2021 with the AFLW Grand Final that we introduce the lap of honour for women that have retired, particularly for those that have retired from this previous season that are able to have that proper send-off? Yeah, look, that's a fantastic idea and something I hope someone puts to the Players Association and maybe the AFL for next year and that would be a fantastic recognition for the players that have actually contributed significantly and, and it's you know called their time in their ga- in the game. Um, and I hope that that you know, development of, of the recognition of, of the retired players but also the celebrations that come around, grand final. Um, obviously, last year we saw 53,000 people go to Adelaide um, and and celebrate their their win, and I hope to see similar crowds and celebrations in future grand finals for AFLW. Now, of course, we know that Laura's running around at the moment in the state league with Bond University. Will you also be playing state league football going forward, albeit on a part time basis, whenever it fits in with work, or is this in a full hang up the boots? Yeah, I don't know yet. I it was a pretty emotional decision to hang up the boots, so I haven't really thought too much about. I guess my future playing career at a at a club level or a state league level, um, no doubt I will get itchy feet and eventually go back to training and have a run around the girls, and that'll be something that I really will miss. As to whether or not I'll compete on on the on the weekends as well, I haven't uh, committed to anything yet, and I'll just sort of see how my body falls up after a bit of well deserved rest over the summer. This uh, summer coming up will be the technically the first summer in six years that I will have actually a break and not be running around training to the best of my ability in the lead up to, you know, either State League, uh, Victorian Academy or AFRW. So I'll take a well-deserved break and a bit of time off to just recuperate and then we'll see what happens next year. As we begin to wrap up this interview, I ask you in, in your two fields this question, what goal do you have, first of all, for football off field? that you would still like to achieve, whether it be still in 10 years, 15 years from now? And what goals do you have in the medical field that you would also like to achieve now as you now switch your full-time focus towards it? I'm really excited about um, potentially the how footy and my medical career can then actually combine on an off-field role. So from a off-field role, I still intend to have a leadership role within the Gold Coast Suns and looking forward to hopefully still making a difference to particularly a lot of the young draftees' um, experience within AFLW and trying to guide and mentor them about how to be professional and disciplined and, and get the most out of the opportunities at the elite level. And I really look forward to that opportunity in the next 12 months with the Gold Coast Suns. Not sure as to how specifically it looks at the moment, but definitely know I'll have a key involvement in the off-field sense. From a medical point of view, I'm about to be a consultant. So I obviously, while balancing all this footy on top of um, work, i have actually about to complete my specialty training, which is a, a huge, I guess, um, huge sort of, yeah, experience for me that I will be actually reaching the, the height of my medical career. Uh, obviously still somehow crazily balancing it with footy. Um, I've been able to balance six years of competitive, um, pretty hardcore study exams and be about to be a consultant specialist in obstetrics and gynecology. So I'll be the boss now. 
Um, and that sort of starts in February, which is exciting and gives me a lot more versatility and, and uh, flexibility to do whatever I like within the field. And my area of interest is research within uh, elite women's um elite women's uh, sport in Australia and the impacts upon their fertility and then obviously hopefully supporting them uh, and players, not even at the elite level, but just even those that are at a state and community level that might want to continue being physically fit and be able to pursue whatever uh, athletic uh, commitments they want, but also then essentially supporting them during pregnancy and then post-pregnancy to get back to doing whatever sport that they desire. So that's something that I feel... Obviously, both my experiences allows me to be the perfect person to support them in that, and that's something that I'll be um, looking forward to developing and 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 yeah, contributing to in the next twelve months. But then, obviously, hopefully for the rest of my career, medical career as well. Some quick fire questions about your teammates before we go, um, and this can cover AFLW level and club football throughout Victoria and Queensland as well. Um, first of all. Who was the toughest opponent you ever went one-on-one against? Toughest component, uh, opponent, gosh. Um, I'm just trying to think. I think probably when I was playing uh, centre-half back uh, for the Western Bulldogs. Um, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm just trying to think. There were so many tough components, and I'm going to sit on the fence and say that there was lots. So out of just, just thinking out, of, out, out loud, uh, Frederick Traub was always um, a challenge, just a a huge physical presence and um, always put her body on the line. Um, Phoebe McWilliams, when she was playing at the GWS Giants, um, I remember having some pretty heated uh, and competitive fierce competitions against her on the field and then she was just equally as effective um, for the Geelong Cats. Um, As a winger, playing for the Gold Coast Suns, playing against Caitlin Ashmore, against North Melbourne, she runs all day and um, she was a, a massive challenge to keep up with and, and someone that really kept me on my toes when I was playing in that position. So they come to mind right now. Oh, there was definitely lots of other fierce competitions along the way. Astro Connor, when she was playing for Darabin Falcons, um, the competition that we had against each other at the VWFL level is something that I'll never forget. And then, then actually being able to become good team, you know, good friends and then teammates with her at the Western Bulldogs is something that I hold very special. Um, and then to be honest, uh, I guess the, the best part of that is that I'm actually now working with her sister. Her sister's a midwife at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital where I work at the moment. So that's been a, fan, a bit of a funny little connection with Aster and her involvement in my footy is that I'm now working with her sister in a, in a professional sense. So, yeah, they're probably the ones I think about at the moment, um, but lots of lots of others that I've probably forgotten right now. Who was the best teammate you played alongside of? Um, Libby Birch um, was probably the the best teammate that I can um, consider at this stage from the Western Bulldogs. Her, the way that she went about her footy, everything was about improving herself and improving the teammates around her, and I we'll never forget the the um, connection that we had at the Bulldogs and she made me a better player and and something that I'll, I'll dearly miss, obviously, now being out of the game, but obviously then also moving to the Gold Coast Suns. At the Gold Coast Suns, Jade Pagelli, um, amazing, amazing person and I hope that she continues in the game for many years to come and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll miss running around with her and hope that I can still just keep cheering for her on the... Um, on the off-field sort of sense that I'll have with the Gold Coast Suns next year. 
if you were having a tough time on the field or off the field, which teammate did you turn to most to, to have a shoulder to lean on? Yeah, obviously a bit different with the Gold Coast Suns and the Western Bulldogs. Western Bulldogs, both captains, Ellie Baffin and Katie Brennan, were, were fantastic. Uh, Lawrence Spark and, and Libby again. Um, you know, the, the connections that we built at the Western Bulldogs, particularly in that premiership year, meant that you could go to most players, to be honest, if you were having a bit of a tough time because you just knew each other so well. And the Gold Coast Suns, um, Sam Virgo has become an incredible friend and advocate for my my balance, and I, I really appreciate everything she has helped me with in terms of being able to achieve the balance. She had many of tri- um, uh, car rides down to Gold Coast as well um, with late nights and early mornings to continue the balance, and she's someone that I really look up to and really appreciate and admire everything that she's done for women's football but also my football. Out of all your teammates, who was either the funniest, the best practical joker, or just an absolute pest? Absolute pest. Um, Ellie Hansen at the Gold Coast Suns, she's a bit of a pest, um, but a lovable pest and an absolute beast on the field, and she has a lot of time left within women's football, and I look forward to her second season in the, in the system and seeing what she can achieve for the, the competition. Um, at the at the Western Bulldogs, um, Sparky was always uh, uh, hilarious. She always had something that was making us laugh and, and still a dear friend from, uh, for me to this day. And, um, yeah, I miss being able to have her laugh and the ice bath, ice bath jokes that come along with um, the experiences that I've had with her. Jeez, I've mentioned Pest and Shay Audley didn't make the cut. That's harsh. <laughs> oh, gosh. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Shay was definitely by far the one at Diamond Creek. She was, yeah, no, nothing could beat Shay. And her um, talk back on the field and um, trash talk, yep. She was uh, definitely um, one in a million in that regard. And our final question as we ask everyone, uh, particularly those that have just retired, what does it mean to you when you sit down in front of your laptop just out of a moment of boredom, you just Google your name, up pops a Wikipedia page, and there it says, Tiana Ernst from Thursday Island, Queensland, five foot eleven ruck, played 29 games of AFLW and is an AFLW premiership footballer. Um, it's pretty surreal, and I don't know who's been updating my Wikipedia. <laughs> Might be you, Pete, but um, yeah, and it looks that's pretty crazy. Um, I never thought I would have a Wikipedia page, and it's um, it's been yeah, I'm proud of what I've achieved, and it's it's lovely that I've been able to get the recognition and and that it's been accurately just you know depicted within a lot of media um, platforms as well, and I hope that the legacy that I've I've left is something that will live on and. And I'm, I'm really lucky that I know a lot of girls have aspired to continue the balance similar to what I have achieved. And, and I hope that, yeah, it's, it's a balance that the challenges that came along with it mean that it's obviously easier for people, oh, for girl, many girls in the future. So, yeah, it's just a bit crazy and surreal. And, yeah, but something I'm very proud of. Well, Dr. <coughs> well, Dr. Tiana Ernst, thank you very much for joining us on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. You are both a credit to the game of Australian football and your medical field. We wish you all the very best in retirement. Don't be a stranger and um, who knows, one day we'll see you making news again, hopefully in both fields, combining them together to find something fantastic that can help the game move forward. No, I appreciate the time today, Pete, and thanks for um, helping me relive the journey. You've uh, done a lot of research and you've um, yeah, accurately depicted, obviously, all the challenges and um, 
uh, I guess the successes and the amazing experiences that I had along the way. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate everything that you've done for women's football. And um, yeah, no doubt once uh, restrictions uh, ease, hopefully I'll be back down and visiting in uh, Melbourne and we can hopefully catch up for a coffee. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, not for just this week, but for 2020. Yes, it's time for us to take our summer break. We look forward to returning in January when we turn our focus to a new AFLW season and a VFLW season that is about to be brought forward to an early or mid-February start. Very exciting. If you want to download any of our podcasts, including this episode, we've got six seasons worth. If you go online, just simply Google search Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. You'll find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, Deezer, or our very own website, WARFradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You just put in their address, then a slash and WARF Radio. That's where you'll find us. And hopefully you'll hear us again in early January in our regular slot of 6pm Wednesday evenings, Melbourne time. We'll see what date we're back. Just keep an eye on our social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter forward slash WARF Radio and we'll let you know when we return. Once again, thank you very much for listening to our podcast throughout 2020 and we've proven There's plenty of women's footy news to cover, even when the coronavirus does bring things to a halt. It's been a privilege producing this show for you, and I look forward to bringing you a seventh season. I'm Peter Holden. Bye for now.